Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the TES International Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Worth. Today, we're chatting with Beth Kerr, the Global Director of Wellbeing for Schools Group, Cognita. We chat about the challenge and opportunity of overseeing the wellbeing focus of 45,000 students and thousands of teachers in 10 countries around the world, from Brazil to Switzerland, India to Vietnam. And we discuss how to empower staff at all levels to feel comfortable looking out for pupil and colleagues' mental health, and of course, their own. Um, thank you so much for joining us for this latest TES International podcast. Really great to um, get your time. And obviously, we're going to be talking about well-being, uh, which is a really big topic and a very important one this year, perhaps more than ever. Uh, to start with, why don't you just introduce yourself you know, a little bit about your role, um, and we can take it forward from there. Yeah, so um, I am the um, Group Director for Wellbeing uh, for Cognita. I come from a teaching background. Um, I was a pastoral deputy just before I joined. I uh, have worked in the state and independent sector from reception all the way up to um, the year 13, so K-12. Been a moderator and an examiner, um, but in 2012, I, I felt that I was ill-equipped really to deal with the huge influx of, of mental health challenges that were coming um, through my doors. And so I did an MSc in Child and Adolescent Mental Health um, which was unbelievably enlightening um, and through that I began working more with Cognita and then joined um, just a couple of years ago and so now I oversee the well-being of about 45,000 students um, in nearly 10 countries um, so it's, it's a real exciting and um, you know ever-changing role. Mm. Well, the, the scale of it certainly sounds like that. I mean, when you say you said 45,000 uh, students in 10 countries, what, what countries, what regions are we talking about there? So we have uh, in Europe, we have schools in Switzerland, um, in the UK and in Spain. Um, in Latin America, we have schools in Chile and Brazil. And in Asia, we have schools in uh, Singapore, um, Vietnam, Thailand, uh, Hong Kong. Uh, I think that's all of them. Yes. So we have we have. Um, you know, schools, you know, really broad and diverse mix of schools. And I think it's important to say as well that the schools, you know, cognitive schools are not, um, you know, it's not sort of McDonald's version where it's, a, you know, you have the same type of school everywhere. Mm. Um, we also, um, we, we, we take and we, we run schools that serve the local population. Um, and in fact, we've, we've recently uh, also um, uh, taken a school in India. So that was the, the one I forgot. Apologies. Well, you remembered it at the end, that's all good. And no, no, no surprise that it's hard to remember them all when you've got such, like you said, a diverse sort of array of locations to cover. And maybe we can touch on that in a little moment. But I think everyone knows fundamentally that well-being is important. And, you know, interesting that you went and did more research into it and, and you know, more studying because you felt you needed to to, to sort of keep, keep be able to deal with it. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about well-being, though, it is such a common sort of word now. But what, what are we really talking about? What do we mean by that, particularly in your sort of setting? How do you... To interpret that as what you want to deliver to your schools, to your teachers, to your pupils. Yeah, look, you're completely right. You're not trying to sell the concept of well-being to, to anyone. You know, there is complete unity among colleagues, parents, you know, across the world that, that it's important. But when I started, one of the things that was, was challenging, I suppose, is, is trying to make sure that I was talking about the same thing um, to, to multiple different colleagues in different languages with different curriculums and different populations. And so, you know, the first job I felt really was um, to define what well-being was for us. Um, and there are lots of different definitions of well-being. It's not saying that there's one right and one wrong, but for us, it was this sense of feeling content 
and flourishing socially, emotionally and, and academically. And that was our definition, first of all. Um, so that at least if you asked a, a child or a colleague, you know, do, do, how is your well-being? They would, they would have an idea of what, they were, what I was asking them. And then the second thing, perhaps more importantly, was to know what things contribute to well-being. So we identified six things, we, three that contribute uh, initially to physical health and three to mental health. But of course, there's this huge overlap because we know how intertwined physical and mental health you know, is. And so we said that for physical health, we looked at sleep, diet and exercise. And for mental health, connecting, doing and giving. And I hope that that would, would be a really helpful point of reference for students. If they weren't feeling, if they said, well, I don't really feel content. I don't really feel okay. I'm definitely not flourishing. Um, then you could say, okay, well, just look at these sorts of things. Do, do you see any gaps in these? And they might say, well, I haven't actually been sleeping that well, or I haven't really connected with anybody for a while, or I don't really do anything. I'm going to hobbies. And so you have a basis for a conversation then, you know, you know, because sometimes well-being can be a sort of nebulous concept and, and you're trying to, to sort of define it. And it's very difficult then to try and think you, you can improve it. And, and I don't like the idea that people think well-being, either, either you've got it or you haven't got it. That, that's not the case. I think it's a conscious uh, thing that you have to do to ensure that you do have positive well-being. So that charter for us, if we called it our Be Well Charter, um, and that was absolutely transformational for me in having these conversations across all these schools. And when you were coming up with those sort of definitions, how, how easy or how hard was that to do, again, within the context of your, you know, what the work you do in the countries and schools you have to think about, where you had, did you have to think about, well, will that translate, will that sort of terminology make sense to certain schools or are that well were that all the ones you chose they were ones like yeah that that makes it will make sense and be implement can be implemented by everyone well we we sought information from international organizations of course didn't sort of come up with it um, you know the world health organization and another um international organizations and it's also then a dialogue with our colleagues in these countries um and you know, and, and you're right, that the actual terminology was important. Um, and so being sure that sleep means sleep in, in these different countries was, was key. And trying to keep it simple. I think sometimes you overcomplicate it. Um, so it was the, those three things of looking at sort of evidence-based research, talking with our colleagues in these countries to make sure that those things were a, um, you know, practical for, for students to be able to improve. Um, and that they translated simply and in a straightforward way for staff and students uh, sorry for staff and colleagues yes so it's not just for students but also for for adults for parents you know it's not one rule for one and one rule for the other we really wanted a sort of holistic approach to it mm. and, and when when are we talking when did that sort of come into fruition and you started to work on it so look i joined um just over a year ago last end of April, beginning of May, we had a Global Be Well Day, which we'll, we'll talk a little bit later, I'm sure about, which was a real celebration of, of, of um, well-being in all our schools. And then the work started after that. So it started last October, we launched it in January, then um, COVID hit, but it, I was so pleased that it, we had, we had, you know, it was established, if you like, in our schools before then. Um, and we just built on it, you know, while we were, while we were all working um, remotely. Mm. Well, obviously, in some ways, the the perfect time, at least, because obviously, as we know, well-being is going to be another big thing of the coronavirus situation and how mm. everyone, not just not just pupils and students, but everyone has been affected. 
Um, just before we sort of really delve into that, maybe how though have you have you in your role and you know how do you support the schools and the teachers to to roll this out further to take what you're doing, you know these concepts, these ideas, and saying this is what how we can do we can you know we can help people, and actually make sure they can then do that when you're not there. You know what I mean? They they've got to then take it forward yeah. and deliver it. How do you sort of provide guidance? How do you feed back to them? How do they feed back to you? How how is that whole process managed? Yeah, as I said, it was helpful to have this common language because that enables you to facilitate conversations between your colleagues. Because you know, my job is really just harnessing the power of this amazing collective group of colleagues from all over the world to make a real and lasting difference to their students. If I if I don't do that and, and I'm trying to to sort of you know come up with everything, then I'm really missing a trick. Uh, and so by having that shared language, that enabled us on our various platforms and look we have uh, we really utilize teams our, our use of um, teams meetings and different groups to sort of share these ideas really um, you know took off during um, during lockdown and so it became a central focus it also helped made it easier for schools I hope to be able to communicate with their parents about the key things that they were they were doing then every school will contribute to those six areas differently and they are able to identify and say look you know actually we do loads on sleep we do a whole you know area blah 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 they might think actually sleep is something we could uh, talk more to parents about or this is an area that, that our um, parents are saying they're finding difficult um, and then they would you know it's a two-way conversation they would inform our um, resources so if we you know we're getting feedback from our schools via we have a you know a, a, a be well address email address that colleagues would email us and ask different things so it's very much a two-way process so yes we give them that structure but we use you know use our colleagues to share resources and we respond to things that they are asking for and and um you know things that they are doing in their schools to to sort of really focus on these things mm. And that that element of of them having the interpretation maybe of the of the sort of ideals that you're promoting, I presume that's quite an important thing. Like I say, both in terms of so they have a sense of ownership and not that they're being dictated to, but also in terms of them understanding that, like you're saying, in some parts of the world, certain things might translate differently, or might be interpreted differently, or might might land better. With yes, parents. of course. Yes, absolutely. I think one of the things that helps is when I join. Um, Cognita, the leadership was really clearly and totally committed to well-being. It wasn't a sort of um, tokenistic thing. You felt, I never felt, oh, you know, the, the boss is just saying this because that's the right thing to say. Our, our CEO, Chris Johnson and Simon Camby is our director of education. It came from them all the time. It was absolutely that drive and vision went through everything. So it started there. Every region has um, their own CEO. It's built of filters down there into the head teachers into the, into the schools into the colleagues so i think that it's consistent the messaging is consistent across everything and there's not a separation of this is well-being and this is education it's it's all on an, an, an all of the same thing you, you can't learn if your well-being is is suffering um, and that acceptance across the board and, and you think it's remarkable, really, when you think of how many different schools you have across all these countries. I'm sure if I was trying to implement a new math syllabus, I might have, you know, uh, considerably more difficulty achieving that unity. But it, honestly, that wasn't a difficult part of the role. Mm. And we've touched on this, but you said um, about coronavirus and obviously that, you know, we can talk, maybe talk a bit more 
obviously of all the years to sort of really implement a, a well-being strategy and deliver it how mm. go ultimately you know was it the you know was it very helpful to people did you really see it coming into the form of like actually that was sometimes maybe the bigger focus of what school had to become rather than education during those particularly the early weeks of lockdown and remote teaching when things were so strange yeah dan we looked at actually from from the it came first so the, the first thing was look you this you know we didn't know how long it was going to last then of course but if you look at anything like a huge change, it is going to have an impact on those contributors. So the first message was make sure you sleep, make sure you're, you're getting your exercise in, make sure you have your boundaries around your screen. And all those sorts of key things came first. Um, the other things came, came after that. So I think by really setting out the stall early, that was helpful because we kept, you know, we kept revisiting it. And of course, it was an issue for lots of people, particularly the sleep was difficult. You're, you're, you're in the house all the time. Some of our colleagues were in flats, um, but it was helpful because what was happening perhaps in a flat in Madrid was the same as happening in a, in a flat in Vietnam. You might have a new teacher who was only in their first year, you know, they hadn't really met all their colleagues properly, and yet they, were, they could seek solace in, in other colleagues from around the world struggling with the same sort of thing. So it really helped um, from that point of view, having a sort of shared experience. Uh, and it also... I think when you're on your own, we were able to work on projects that, if I'm honest, I probably wouldn't have thought were possible beforehand. Um, we did a huge Cognita Home Games, um, which involved all our schools, or almost all our schools, I should say. Um, and if you'd have said to me beforehand, well, you, you can do that from your bedroom, I would have said, oh, there's no way I can do that from a bedroom. I need to visit all these places to be able to do that. And so, you know, I think there was an openness and a willingness to share um, and learn from each other. And we were in a fortunate position, uh, well, obviously not for Asia, it wasn't fortunate, but for all the colleagues that were not in Asia were able to learn from Asia because they were in lockdown before everybody else. So some of our schools in Hong Kong, for example, it was from January. Um, and so learning from each other was a huge part of that. Okay, that's, that's very interesting. And, and when you talk about enabling things to do to do things you didn't think you could do or would have, wouldn't have thought about before. And you, you mentioned these home games. I mean, you know, what, what did they entail then? What did that enable you to do for everyone? Well, literally, I, uh, I happened to join on a conversation of some um, PE teachers um, that were talking about it being a shame that, that the various sports days and so on had been cancelled. And so we got together and started thinking of some challenges that we could put out there um, to get children, encouraging them to keep fit while they were at home and some of them weren't able to leave the house and so we came up with a series of challenges and, and then it sort of snowballed we had um, colleagues we did an opening and closing ceremony in the same way you might do for the olympics so we had people from brazil and chile leading the way there because they were they were so wonderfully musical and rhythmical and then we had um you know various sporting uh, elite stars you know promoting it and saying come on get get active and get busy and we started involved and the parents and, and in the end we had I think it was 67 of our schools and some of them bearing in mind were on holiday at that point so 67 of our schools joined in getting all their students to be able to do the plank or sit-ups or press-ups or whatever it was for a, for a minute and it was just such a feel-good um, you know event that actually got people active as well so you know in terms of our charter it was connecting people and getting them active you know and, and it made us all laugh as well so it was just a wonderful event um and i think there's something really empowering about knowing that there's somebody you know in rio 
doing your, your sit-ups or your plank challenge in the same way as if you might be doing it, you know, in, in Switzerland or in Spain or in the UK. So it was really lovely. Hmm. And on, on the other end of the spectrum, maybe, I mean, I think they think like that, you know, a lot, we saw a lot of that happening in terms of people like coming together and keeping active and, and which was great. I mean, how did you also provide for the people that did struggle more, maybe, or whether that was teachers or pupils or even parents, if you heard about, I mean, you know, how did the network that you, you have and the sort of resources that you were providing or, and, and so forth, did you see that coming to the fore and helping people get through the time, which was quite challenging for them? Yeah, and, and you mentioned three groups of people, and I think they were all had different challenges. And I think number one thing was we were listening and, and asking the questions for students. All the schools uh, were, were just brilliant at having, they had set times where they would have check-ins with their students. Um, if there were things in particular that they wanted uh, additional help from, we would share through our our team's resource, um, and that was that was really helpful. You know, as I said, you could you could learn from some some of our other schools staff. We would have um, what we called a Be Well Wednesday, and that was just a, a sort of weekly uh, reminder and a focus about the importance of well-being. And, and we would um, we uh, used a clinical psychologist, Dr. Bill Mitchell, who you know gave little talks and and little sort of tips to help colleagues in some of the things they were finding difficult we put all our resources for parents you know bearing in mind you know in some some areas there were parents working with two or three children in a flat and trying to do their job and try, you know it was just very difficult so we would um put sort of tips and, and videos and they're all on our website they're open source for anybody at cognito.com be well section just just go and look there so we did really try to cater for all three groups because you know, we all work together at the end of the day. It's not sort of one or the other. It's a sort of partnership. And you mentioned sort of you touched on research there. And obviously you said at the start that you yourself did a bit further sort of academic you know, uh, qualification to understand more about this mm -hmm. arena. How important do you think it is then to sort of have that grounding in those sort of fundamentals of research in this area? You know, so that you may, yes, you may have a fun event or something or you may be offering like, you know, a quick way for someone to contact you. But actually underpinning it, there is a sort of a deep level of academic you know rigor to it all yeah look it's important for me certainly it was important um that i had some evidence based to some of the things that, that you were talking about or promoting particularly in the digital age because things were were changing so quickly for for young people but actually sometimes i think um there's there's too much pressure on teachers to you know be a counselor or be a, a psychologist or so guys that's not their role but they can actually contribute to well-being so if anything it was not not sort of saying well actually you need to learn all about anxiety or depression or, or ocd and you need to know the the ins and outs it's actually about stripping it back and thinking let's be more proactive if we got these things right on a, on a, on a more uh, fundamental level for all students and earlier there may be fewer children who might need that that specialist help um, and so that way you know it takes a bit of the, the burden which sometimes falls very heavily on one or two members of staff uh, in a school and spreads it more more widely look some some school lots of our schools in asia have counselors within the school and that's great but lots of schools don't have that um, so yes it's important and there is such an interest from colleagues to learn more and that's why it's really nice to share evidence because if you're saying to parents it's really important that your child doesn't take the device to bed overnight they, they want to know why you know you, and you need to be able to tell them why and explain why what does the science say so yes that's important but it has to be a whole school contribution and i think colleagues all want they, they, everybody wants to think well, what can i do to help well-being 
you don't have to be an expert. There are little things you could do to contribute to those six areas that will benefit will benefit children. Do you think though that if if maybe like looking longer term as this again like well being as a concept becomes so much more embedded in schools, and I'm not just talking about cognitive. I mean, no, all schools. If, mm. Yeah, and if if people are going to do that, do you not do you not need someone that ultimately who is trained in the school who can actually properly assess a, a pupil or or a member of staff if they come to them with a problem and and you know they're willing to go through that door and say look I've got I need help if they haven't got someone they can turn to do you think that's something that does need to become more embedded in schools if that's truly going to deliver on that well being ideal? I think if you have a culture uh, that promotes well being, you will identify much quick much more quickly if somebody is struggling it's not the teacher's job then to identify what the problem is or to or to try and um you know be the sort of psychologist or the psychiatrist there it is their job to point them in the right direction of whoever that is in that school and it will be different in all schools um so i think you if you've got a really open culture and you know what you're, you know, you're looking for students who are flourishing staff who are flourishing and feel content if they don't feel content and you're not able they're not able to improve their well-being by you know working on some of these countries and it really can sometimes be as simple as i have actually haven't done any exercise i haven't got outside the front door for however long mm. but but if they've done all that and it's still they're still feeling uh you know not you know well or, or you know they're, they're very low then your role is not just to um uh you know, to, to sort it out for them, but to signpost them and support them in getting that help um, that they need. So I think having that sort of culture in a school is really important. And there are different ways that you can do that. Lots of schools have wonderful staff committees. Um, and I think by just having that regular focus on well-being, it's just like that drop, 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 you know, that sort of reminder mm. that you have to prioritise it. Um, so I think that's one way... For our students, we have been using AS tracking now in the majority of our schools have started. And that's a well-being, again, a sort of preventative, proactive tool that looks at student biases and whether that might predispose them to certain vulnerabilities. And that's a proactive thing. And again, that's part of the culture. But it very much never says, well, then you have to solve mental health you know, challenges and conditions because that is very much a specialist area that I think needs help so in short yes of course it helps to have as much information and evidence-based research to support your your colleagues as you can but they are ultimately not the the final um the final person who should help get specialist um you know support to colleagues Okay, and, and if we take that idea then that the culture is in some ways is the is the sort of bedrock of a good well-being focus, and everything can sort of grow from there. Again, you, you've talked about you know some of the things that you've come up with to try and to help schools do that. I mean, are you do you fundamentally though do you know it's happening? You know, do you get good sense from the schools you work with that this is being taken on board and, and delivered and developed, and, and they're buying into it? You know, do you ever sense any resistance or any sense of oh yeah, it's a tough job, you know, it shouldn't be easy kind of mindset. And how, again, how can you gauge that to actually know that what you do in the centre is, is landing in the classrooms thousands of miles away? Yeah, it, well, of course, and that's the most important thing, you know, so you have to have these networks um, of, of communication, which has been made much easier through COVID because that is how the only way that we could communicate. But we, we had... Um, uh, we have, I should say, a global Be Well Day, which is an annual day mm. um, every year that celebrates uh, and showcases to parents. So I think often 
um, you know, not, not parents don't always realize all the brilliant things that schools are doing. And so it's really important to do that. But we took on board some of the feedback that said last year that said, well, we really want to make sure that it's embedded every, you know, every day. Um, and so the challenge this year, for example, is, is a month long challenge to get active and try and um, trying to mass many, as many kilometres as you can so you can travel from one country uh, to another country that's got a school in and it builds that connection and it's actually building healthier habits but it also is about having we've got a be well calendar where every month we focus not only on the contributors but also on um, major international global days of well-being so mental health awareness month is next month that will be a focus for us we will try um to to get some experts that can can shed you know another, a different perspective on that so it's not you know it's not sort of just come from us it's actually come from experts in those fields in, in safer internet month for example in february again we'll do a similar sort of thing so it's about having a regular you know monthly reminder um of mm -hmm. a key issue and for our staff having a weekly reminder um, about how important it is because it really is that sort of drip drip thing, feed that, that we'll get there in the end I think. Yeah and do you and looking back over your career on the long term is that something where you feel like in the past maybe there wasn't enough of that where it was too much like once a term or once a year and then well no wonder people sort of forgot about it whereas when you have it more regularly it becomes part of school life in the way that anything else that happens regularly just becomes another part of school life. Yeah so I think it, it, it should be part of school life. I think it should be across the board. It shouldn't just be one person's job. Yes, one person will oversee it. I'm sure in a school, obviously the pastoral leads in various schools would drive that. But there could be any number of colleagues that might say, oh, look, we can do that. You know, the P department can lead on that or the you know, head of charities are going to lead on that. So there are all sorts of colleagues that, that will contribute to it. So I think if it, if it really is embedded from the start so for when colleagues join a school it's like this is what we're about well-being goes first then the learning goes on that because you can't have cognitive learning without social and emotional learning it's so um you know intertwined mm. um and so i think it is all about spreading it across all colleagues it's it used to be very much you know I, when we used to have health educate PSHE in this country and other countries, it would be called you know, personal health care or whatever else it would, would be termed in the different countries. The concept was almost about, you know, who, who teaches that? Very few um, countries have a sort of specialist PGC curriculum where teacher training is just in that area. And so it relies on teacher goodwill and sometimes they feel ill-equipped to do that. And so I think if there's a broader expectation that all teachers contribute to it, it, a, it makes it more culturally um, impactful, but B, it takes that, that sort of pressure off one person. Yeah, that's, that certainly makes a lot of sense. And something you said there that sort of made, triggered a thought is, you know, again, we're talking about well-being and, and good mental health, which again, is something that's grown massively in awareness over the last few years. And I suppose would the hope be then through what you've described there and, you know, the various events and so forth, that, that well-being becomes something that everyone is thinking about both the, the pupils and the staff not just in school as a school thing but something that they can take into their everyday life and particularly with with, with students into their later life so that they understand what good well-being is and, and actually can spot if they suddenly think you know what, i'm struggling at the moment in life whatever for whatever reason but they're actually more yeah. attuned to it like a skill like that you like learning maths is a skill and, and so forth is that is that the sort of yeah. is that the ultimate goal we're going for here that that's exactly it that we start from when they are very small from when i first came into reception we were you know we look at 
all the key areas. They're just as relevant to a three-year-old as they are to a 33-year-old or a 63-year-old, and they don't change. And that's the, that's the beauty of it. So I think by starting from when they're young, reinforcing it, you hope that when they go to university, and that you know that, that it's interesting that so many um, mental health conditions begin well 50% before the age of 14 and 75% before the age of 24 they've gone to university often left on their own or to the workplace and and if they haven't got the tools just to say I'm struggling a little bit I haven't even got a clue where to start then that's doing them a real disservice and as I said they're not going to be able to learn anything so if they really believe you know I have to get these six things right then I shall be able to learn, then I'll be able to look after myself. And they, they will thrive then. Uh, and I think that goes across all our schools, you know, no matter what culture it is, no matter what, um, you know, what, what, what group of, of parents or students or staff. Um, and I think staff, it, it's important for them too, because if we don't look after our well-being as educators, then we're really not much of a role model as a parent or as or as a teacher and I'm sure we've all know of times when as a parent you've shouted at your children or you cross or you haven't been because you're tired or because you're hungry or because you know whatever else it is you haven't even addressed the fundamental needs mm. your fundamental needs and therefore you can't look after them so well mm. and, and on that ideal then of you know like how we can model it is there any sort of a, sort of final advice and or, or sort of ideas you'd give for, for teachers or indeed parents who you know, want to take these ideas further and do better. And because, you know, bearing in mind that some listeners might not be in a, in a big school group, or they might be, you know, it might be that in their school, this is not something that's got a sole responsibility in that. And as a result, it sort of is a bit nebulous still. Is there any sort of thing you'd recommend, like, here's how you can mm-hmm. really bring it to the fore so it becomes a core focus in a sort of, not in a simple way, but in a way that's actually achievable? I think if you were in a, in a, a without any, um, any sort of uh, other, schools to, to lean upon although I would say please take the resources there for you pick one or two things you know sleep is probably the most fundamental fundamentally important basis to your health and so if they started with that and said oh, every uh, you know every one of our teachers or every time I see my children I'm going to mention sleep I'm going to say how well I slept I'm going to give them some top tips you are contributing to one element of well-being and, and you're improving that for them um, and as you know that that varies it will but we Funny enough, even though it varies, we did a, a Sleepy Simon. The story began Sleepy Simon for little ones. Um, and we took it to Asia and we said, would this sort of story work for you? They said, well, we need to change a few bits and bobs because, you know, they don't have many, they were saying we, not many of our children have dogs, for example. Mm. Things you wouldn't really think of. And the same happened in Latin America. But the, but the, the concept was the same. Um, and it was just that the teacher in their own classroom with their little students would talk about sleep with their, with their own and they would make an impact and a difference to those children. So I think for a teacher feeling empowered that just because they can't change everything, just pick one or two elements about well-being that you can contribute to. Something that you perhaps um, you know, have an affinity you know, about or you really sort of connect with and, and really try and make small steps like that and I think that will, that will help. Yeah, so take something and just sort of rather than trying to do it all at once as a big sort of blockbuster change, it's more like, okay, something small and gradual, but, you know, six months, a year later, suddenly you've you've done that. Yeah, you've done that. And, and it'll, it will snowball because then, you know, the teacher, the class next door might say, oh, that's quite good. Can I can have that, that resource? Or the parents might say, oh, actually, we're seeing it a bit now my little child and we had this actually was it that we, we had children saying they were nagging their parents to tell them well you know you put your phone in your bedroom overnight and you know it might be a bit annoying if you're a parent but at least 
it was the penny was dropping and and therefore you know you know you're making a small difference so i think if you just think it's not going to happen by itself i can make a little difference um you know there are always things that you can learn more about um, and i think most of us now are realizing the importance of it to us and to other people so we, we want to share and i think i would encourage all anyone who's interested in well-being just to take that first step to change things something that's great i think that's a really nice sort of positive you know simple and actionable point to leave it on so um, you know thank you very much for your insights and, and sharing you know all the work you're up to it sounds really interesting and um well look forward to speaking again in the future perhaps oh thanks dan lovely to speak to you